It's the end of July. It's the last, last day of July. Welcome to the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up for the week of 26 July 2020. Sweaty Boothole, Mary Queen of Patchenstein, Doki, Fancy Bear, and someone who does, who does like Assange but doesn't like Idaho very much. All this and more on the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Hello, I'm Doug White from Roger Williams University. I'm your host on the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up. First, let's wrap up all the show notes for the week. On Application Security Weekly number 116, Mike, Matt, and John had an interview with John Matherly, the founder at Shodan, which is an awesome piece of, uh, an awesome tool if you've never used it. Uh, this particular discussion was about how to fix vulnerabilities effectively and efficiently and how to scale the amount of attention given to a particular issue. It's a really important topic, and I, I'm going to rant about it a little bit later. So uh, a great show. You should check it out. On Business Security Weekly number 182, Paul, Jason, and Matt talked with Drew Cohen, the president and CEO at Masterpiece, at P-E-A-C-E, Solutions uh, Limited. Uh, they were talking about cybersecurity challenges in the teleworking world where we all pretty much reside these days, except I do get to come in the studio and do shows. So somehow I got like a buy on that. Um, they covered some top issues with teleworking, home network security, document signing, IoT, and 5G. So it was a really interesting segment, uh, well worth uh, giving a listen to. Um, let's see here. Uh, on the Security Weekly News, number 53, Jason Wood talked about the Garmin ransomware issue that occurred this week and about how Garmin was being used for civil aviation emergency auto land. I, I have some more to say about this on the news segment, so I will definitely talk about that some more. But if you want to listen to Jason talk about it, it's worth listening to there as well. Uh, on Security and Compliance Weekly number 37, Jeff, John, Josh, and Scott had a segment called Legal Implications of Security and Compliance Parts 1 and 2 because they can never do anything in just one part. Um, this was a nice discussion uh, with the host. It was led by the new host and, and a guy with guitars in the background, so he gets my vote for the entire group. Um, this show, this show is a, it's a new show that we started doing this year. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's had great content, and it's if you haven't checked out Security and Compliance Weekly yet, you, you really should. Uh, a lot of great content there, and that stuff's just all through all enterprise, so it's worth taking a look. On Paul's Security Weekly, number 660, 
in which we buy domains frantically, drink martinis, cognac, and scotch for three hours straight. Uh, and we did, we had a great news segment uh, with the whole gang. So it was a lot of fun. I got to be there. Uh, first up on the show last night was our friend Corey Thune from Gravwell. Uh, Corey is always a lot of fun, and he really did have eye surgery. So I know there was some disparaging comments uh, from the peanut gallery on Discord, and my reference to Unshin Andalu fell completely flat. Uh, I, I was trying to inject that. Paul cut me off. Yeah, uh-huh. And I was like, what a great reference to, uh, you know, an eye surgery. But, you know, hey, okay, whatever. Uh, but the, to the topic was really about new features in Gravwell. And I did get to get in my question that someone asked me earlier in the day about Packet Fleet. And I could not think of the name. Sorry, Corey. Uh, it's a great product. I was telling about it. And, uh, and it, it's really, really cool. Um, but uh, that question was about NetFlow and full packet capture and how you could trigger that kind of stuff. And I could not think of the name of the component of Gravwell that does that, but it's Packet Fleet. Uh, Corey also did a demo of some of the new features that are coming up in the Community Edition, uh, which if you haven't looked at it, uh, it's two gigs for free a day, I think. So it's, it's definitely worth checking out, and you can do it for free. So why not? Uh, in the second segment, Siddharth uh, Bhatia uh, talked about his research in streaming anomalies in NetFlow data for streams. So it was, that was a really cool idea, and I think there's a lot of interest in that right now. He's using a machine learning-based tool, which is called Midas, and it basically detects behavioral anomalies in NetFlow data for that streaming session. So something a lot of people are very interested in. And we talked about extensions of Midas into deep learning, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was a nice conversation with him. And thanks to Siddharth for getting up really early in Singapore to do that, that segment, at least early to me. Maybe not early to him, but it was early to me. Uh, all that, and of course, we, we had a, a really cool news segment uh, after everybody had plenty of drinks. Uh, my favorite thread of the week is going to be, well, I'm going to go back to patching again. I mean, uh, the threats aren't changing that much, and they, I guess they never have. But um, if you get right down to it, with the exception of phishing, uh, so much of the rest of what we do is about the fact that flaws exist in uh, tools that we use. I mean, if you look at the CVE list, it's just a constant flow, right? I mean, it's not like there's some CVEs and, you know, once a year they put a couple more on there. It's just like bang, 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 bang. And it seems like lately there's been a massive, you know, hit on on infrastructure devices. And, and that's pretty scary stuff. Most of the attacks you read about fall into either phishing or, or you know, you know, poor old Kyle clicked the link down in marketing and now we're all screwed. And if only we had patched that SMB, you know, issue, we wouldn't be ransomware right now. And so in, in some ways, even the ransomware phishing stuff is really more about patching and, and did you fix these problems that are being exploited by the ransomware. Uh, but it could be some flaw that might have been patched uh, that, that allow people to get in in the first place. And we just haven't rolled out the patches. So sometimes the, the manufacturers are making patches and we just don't have them in place. In the old days, and, and this is pretty much still that should be the case, uh, we use this thing called Dev and Prod where dev shells were used. So I would set up dev shells for developers that reflected the actual environment. And we had alpha beta versions of stuff that was running in those shells. And when the developer felt it was ready, they, they pushed it to me and, and I ran it in my test environment and then forked it over to the QA person who also ran some tests on it. And if the QA person and I both signed off on it, it went to the checkpoint, which was this really nice old lady named Mary who, who didn't know a thing about code. 
but she was very, very, you know, rigid about someone had to have all these signature blocks and they had to be signed off legibly, which I had a lot of trouble with. I mean, it was an actual signature. Uh, there were three signatures, the dev, the QA, and the analyst, all of us saying we had tested this and we gave it our blessing. Uh, and if, you, if it failed, then it was on us to fix it. Uh, all three of those people had to sign. She had to verify her signatures, and then she would sign. So there were four signatures on that form. And when Mary finally signed and sent the form back to me, I could push the code into production. Um, and, you know, all this is a self-imposing uh, rules on ourselves. But it, it, was, it was a basic situation, and I know many of you have much more complex worlds. But we, we would run into problems. When Mary went on vacation or something, I had to get a new protocol because Mary was on vacation. And she was not so nice when she found out that we could go around her, you know, little nice little office with all the pictures of the cats, just by basically me going and getting, you know, her manager to sign who didn't, who really didn't know anything about it. Um, but today it seems that patching has many more complex issues, but it still boils down to Mary and QA approving the thing. I, you have all that, right? Uh, the problem uh, is the implication of implementation gets the whole process bogged down while everyone's arguing about whether or not to actually do it. Somebody has to finally push that button. I mean, I pushed that button a lot of times, and it was a scary button to push because it's like, oh, here we go. Oh, God. Um, and, you know, Microsoft releases patches every week. Uh, so getting that patch that they push out tested, rolling it out, and then the gap between Microsoft send out the patch or MSISEC announces that something has a huge hole in it, and then they have to develop a patch and so on. Having an analysis done, an impact statement, API assessment, and on and on and on, all these things that you really need to do because you want to know what's going to happen to your worldwide or if it's just you know Steve's car wash down, down on Main Street. Uh, but all of us have impacts when we roll out patches. Everything has to get into that gap between flaw found, patch released, and patch implemented. That's where all the problems start. So you have to do that every week, and that's just Microsoft. Uh, so how many Cisco and Oracle patches are out there right now? I think uh, they were talking last night on the show, there were 275 Oracle issues that were listed. I mean, right now, just today, and tomorrow there may be more. So from what I've seen in the last couple of years, this is a major problem for almost every enterprise from small to large. Hell, it's a problem for my house. I mean, if Cisco releases a patch for an iOS, I have to decide if I'm going to push that patch onto my border at my house. And then I have to think about, well, is this going to impact everything in my house? Because my wife's in a meeting, my daughter's at a class, and oh, well, later on, my wife's not in a meeting anymore. But my daughter is in a different class, or my daughter's watching Mythbusters, or I don't know what. And oh, sorry, we have to shut down while I restart this. And I hope everything still works when I do, because oh, yeah, I know you have a meeting at 4 p.m. And that's just my house. So, I mean, I, I feel you when you start talking about, I've got, you know, 75,000 users just in, you know, the Northeast or something like that. But basically, the impacts from the patch may have longstanding effect, but one simply does not walk into Python 3.9. Hmm. So I think patches are a huge threat right now and a primary source of threats at this juncture. So we're going to have to figure out a way to get Mary's button gear and, but don't make her mad because if you make her mad, you know, like saying, I don't like peanut butter cookies when she tries to give you one and you don't eat it and you go, yeah, I don't like peanut butter cookies, you'll never get another push approved ever. And she's not going anywhere. And now the top news from all the shows. Um, since the back office name for last night's show is Sweaty Boothole, and someone beat me to registering sweatyboothole.com on the Discord. I think it was Dimitri. You know who you are. Um, I missed that one. I actually had it in my cart. I was hitting 
purchase and it literally changed to sorry that domain is no longer available so i'm going to leave with the story about this because it actually is a, a giant flaw it's a very scary thing uh to everyone uh this is cve 2020 10713 and it is in grub 2. grub 2 is the bootloader for linux and windows and just about everything so every distro that you go out there and look at is using Grub2 as its bootloader. So this is the primary bootstrap that is pulling up the operating system off the disk. Um, it was found, the, the flaw was found by Eclipsium and basically an attacker who has admin. I mean, okay, so they get admin through phishing, they get admin through some other flaw, or they just, you know, they're in the system somehow, can push a mod into grub.cfg. So grub.cfg is the config file, and if you've ever installed old versions of grub or old versions of Linux where you had to go in and manually edit all this stuff, uh, it basically allows code to be executed in the UEFI before the main operating system is loaded. So essentially, it's like you've actually pushed... A, uh, a piece of malware or whatever it is you want to push onto the, the ROM. It's not on the ROM, but it's like that. And so before the operating system gets loaded, this thing gets installed again. So if you can do that, no matter what you do, you can't get rid of it because every time you restart, it reinstalls itself. And you're gonna, it's going to take a while to even figure out where it came from. The only way I could think of to fix this is to wipe everything down to the bare metal and reinstall a clean version. Now, it might be possible while the system is running to push a new grub config on there unless the malware actually sees that and replaces it again. I, I mean, you know, it depends on how it's written. Uh, that's not a great solution if you have to strip your server down to the bare metal and reinstall. There are patches on the UEFI forum. Microsoft says this affects Windows 10, Windows 8.1, servers 2012 to 2019, and that a, they have a patch forthcoming for this. The Secure Boot DBX, which is what the UEFI forum has, can be installed from, um, from them. But Microsoft says that this may well cause your system not to boot. So you're pretty much like in limbo right now. I mean, you're stuck between, do I want to try this thing and see if it fixes it, or do I wait for Microsoft to patch it if you're using Microsoft? Um, same thing in Linux. Uh, in a related story then this morning, Red Hat announced uh, to their customers, do not install the UEFI forum uh, secure boot package because it will very likely cause your system to hang. Yikes. So this thing is pretty bad, and you probably need to have a team meeting about it and see if it's something that may be impacting you right now. Garmin had a ransomware attack that took down the GPS fitness tracker apps and most of the rest of Garmin this week. And they apparently did pay a ransom. There's, I, I had a story about that. Uh, there are a lot of stories about this this week. Garmin kind of moved out of the automotive biz. You know, that used to be like what you had in your car. Everybody had a Garmin hanging off their, their uh, windshield to drive you around. I used one for years. I used it in Europe. I used it in Asia. I used it all over the place. The only place I didn't work was in Indonesia. I, it, it wasn't very good there, but everywhere else it worked fine. But in recent years, you know, everybody sort of switched over to using things on their phone. Uh, but since you have your phone, what do you need another gadget hanging there for? My car, you know, directly interfaces with my phone and uses, you know, tools off there. But they really moved heavily into fitness. And one of their other big markets is civil aviation. And only the most hardcore old pilots didn't have some sort of GPS-esque, and I'll put-esque after that, 
in their cockpit. And at this point, most people had GPS. There's all, been all kinds of other systems that civil aviation used. My old flight instructor, who was the hardest of the hardcore people who I think flew against Eddie Rickenbacker in World War II and absolutely insisted on using no gadgets except a map and an empty scotch bottle to plan. Uh, you can draw these circles around the bottom of, the, of, a, of a certain size bottle that shows you on a certain scale map how far you can fly. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, he called anybody using these gadgets pathetic cheaters. Uh, but most people that are flying today, and, and this is all civil aviation because uh, commercial aviation tends to use proprietary stuff, or do they? Um, but they uh, recently, Garmin had added this emergency auto land feature to allow it to interface with an autopilot that would literally fly the plane onto the ground if uh, the, something happened to the pilot. So a passenger could push the button and say, you know, okay, the, the auto land. Uh, it was not supposed to be used normally. Uh, commercial aviation has had auto land for years. But Garmin uh, has had previous impact uh, from malware when their fitness devices were revealing troop movements because the U.S. Uh, and, and they had military base information because they were getting maps of military bases. So many military people were using fitness devices and Garmin was running them. And uh, now my, my fitness device, which I'm not wearing, you can see, is just basically a single dot that, that a couple times a week moves from my, my office at home to right here where I'm sitting now and then moves back there. So that's my fitness activity. Uh, but uh, Garmin was tracking military movements. In fact, the military ended up uh, blocking it. And, and so as old Paul, who was my, my flight instructor, would tell you, if you're flying, you better be prepared to fly blind. Uh, and, and he actually did this. He actually pulled the keys out of the ignition and said, okay, now land the goddamn plane. Uh, so be ready if, if you're using Garmin's and other things because this ransomware took all this stuff offline. And that is pretty frightening considering how dependent most everybody is on uh, Garmin-type stuff and GPS. Three Idaho State websites were defaced by hackers who apparently don't understand the population centers of the United States. The attacks seem to be focused this time on freeing Julian Assange, who is actually at currently at this moment in Belmarsh Prison in the, in the United Kingdom, and he is sort of awaiting extradition to the United States or not, depending on you know, how the law shakes out. Uh, the group called Ghost Squad Hackers has been active bef uh, since 2016 uh, and have had attacks in 2016, 2017, 2018. And uh, they have in the past put up hacktivist or even Islamic State messages all in Idaho. So I guess they don't like Idaho or they don't realize that Idaho is like, you know, not like a major population center. You know, I don't know, but they like Assange. I, a new report shows that GRU, which is also known as Apt28 or Fancy Bear, I, I like Fancy Bear myself, uh, I always remember that, uh, had carried out a wide range of attacks against United States targets from December 2018 until May of this year. Now, this does not mean they stopped attacking in May. It just means that's what the, the, the time frame this report covered. All these attacks were focused on primarily breaking into mail servers, Office 365 servers and VPN servers. Uh, it seems the attacks, which were mostly in, in the federal government, state government agencies, and educational institutions, uh, were primarily focused on acquiring credentials. Uh, they seem to now be appearing to expand these attacks into the energy sector in the United States. The report from the FBI and others did not reveal 
what specific targets had been selected. The FBI called Fancy Bear an advanced persistent threat, and while it seems that most of these credential stuffing type attacks uh, you know, are, are just the typical thing, they figure they're probably a, a prelude to meddling in the United States election, which is coming up in November. GRU is known to have been significantly focused on meddling in the election in 2016, and U.S. intelligence officials, so no politics, but U.S. intelligence officials have indicated that Russia has an initiative to reelect President Donald Trump. So, so you know, at, at least somebody out there. Um, I did want to mention that Black Hat and DEF CON are all running next week, uh, so we will not have a news show on Tuesday because of the Black Hat Hacker Summer Camp. Uh, I did get my uh, official DEF CON 28 safe mode badge, which is apparently a cassette tape. I have not opened it yet because I just I, I want to preserve it, but I, I know I won't be able to resist opening it. I already decoded the crypto on the outside of the package. But I wonder what's waiting on that cassette tape. So be sure and check those out. Um, Security Weekly is going to be involved in the Black Hat uh, portion of this. And there is a discount code on Paul Security Weekly. So if you tune in last night, it's right at the beginning. You can grab that discount code to get $200 off of Black Hat. DEF CON is later in the week, and it is free. So you don't need to worry about discount codes for that. So uh, we are doing interviews and micro sessions during the Black Hat portion. So be sure and check out what all we've got going next week. Uh, I know it's sad we can't go hang out at Davidoff Cigar in Vegas this year or Frankie's or wherever it is you like to hang out during DEF CON and Black Hat. Uh, but you can still see all the talks and you won't have to get in the sweaty line con. Uh, hey, Dav Mr. Davidoff, call me, really? I mean, call me. I, I, need, a sp I need a cigar sponsor. Uh, Docky Backdoor allows the infiltration of Docker servers uh, in the cloud. Uh, this is a Linux-based backdoor that uses Dogecoin wallets to generate command and control domain names. So they're basically creating, uh, you know, a continuing changing domain name Docker uh, that is going to be created out of these uh, Bitcoin or uh, Do Dogecoin wallets. Basically, it's a misconfigured Docker API port. Uh, or API. Some people don't like me to say API. I, I like saying API. And doctors think that's an appendix removal, but I, I sometimes say it, so I'm sorry. Um, a, a, it's a pretty typical Docker type attack. Uh, and then they set up containers that host the malicious code that's going to be downloaded in the victim site. So a standard kind of command and control thing that would be used with something like Emotet or any of those kind of uh, piece of malware. Doki uh, uses the ingrok botnet to spread. Uh, to new dockers once they're up and running. So it's a constant scan by this botnet. They look for new dockers that have this vulnerability, and then they embed uh, their malware in the dockers, and that creates new on-the-fly uh, domain name, command, con command and control servers. This is pretty dangerous new technique. It seems to be evolving. It's kind of complex and kind of not. The article says that only 24 out of 60 malware detection engines are actually detecting this ingrok botnet. So the threat really does seem to be evolving. So check your dockers for exposed ports and ensure that you don't have foreign containers. There is advice in the article I put on the wiki. Cisco did patch the serious vulnerabilities in the data center network manager described in a series of flaws in CVE 2020-3382 and others uh, that came out uh, recently. Uh, Cisco is saying this is a critical flaw. It is due to static encryption keys being shared across installs of this product. So that means if you get one, you can get, you can get into other ones. The patches are out there, but you are going to have to actually you know, patch. 
another Cisco vulnerability, CVE 2020-3452, which was also a very serious issue, was in the FTD software on the Cisco ASA firewall. So if you're using Cisco, be sure and check uh, all these CVEs and patches. There's been a lot of this stuff lately involving all kinds of network infrastructure. So you really need to, st I, I think you really need to do a serious examination of your networking infrastructure and make sure you're not vulnerable to all these, co these remote code execution attacks and others. Uh, all these were indicated as serious vulnerabilities by Cisco. So it wasn't some guy named Chet that you, you met on the boardwalk in New Jersey. It was actually Cisco saying it. And finally, a hacker has been hacking the hacks uh, and was able to replace Emotet payloads with uh, funny GIFs, uh, including Hacker Man, which everyone loves that GIF from the movie Hackers. Uh, but he was basically able to replace the, the payloads that were supposed to be there with GIF images. Now, Emotet is a malware framework that is widely used, and it's available for sale. It's quite expensive if you want to buy it on the dark web. It's customizable per attack, and it's very, very nasty uh, thing to deal with. The payload delivery method that, that Emotet uses uh, apparently is not very secure, uh, and it uses an open-source web shell that's on GitHub, and it used the same password for all of this uh, content pull. So basically, he was able to get this password and then push new content into Emotet uh, to sort of you know make for an amusing uh, afternoon when you thought you were about to get hit with malware. It basically throws these instead of doing what it was supposed to do, it throws these you know various memes up on your server. Uh, the hack did result in Emotet spam emails and payloads being replaced starting around the 21st of July. Uh, the images included all kinds of other memes as, as well as Hackerman. Emotet developers regain control of their systems, but they may actually be shopping for some cyber tools to help them fend off these sort of threats in the future. And that's the news wrap-up for the week of 26 July 2020 in the time of plague. I'm Doug White from the RD Online Cybersecurity Program at Roger Williams University. We will not see you on Tuesday, but we probably will see you on Friday. From the network that never shuts down, Security Weekly, read the science and stay safe. <laughs>